Hello again, everyone. I'm Jamie Bricker. And I'm Carol Bricker. And you are listening to Bricker by Bricker on Voice Ed Radio. And I think most of our, our listening audience knows, Jamie, that you and I are recently retired elementary school educators and that we've got extensive experience teaching within the classroom. You bring an extra layer to the table in in the sense of also having been an elementary school administrator. And then I also bring my special education focus with me as I finished off my career as a special education facilitator. And Carol, as you well know, our ongoing goal through all of our podcast is to provide parents with insights into the educational system and to help families build productive partnerships between home and school. So as we look back over this series of podcasts that we had throughout the fall, you know, most of our time was spent discussing various aspects of student learning and and really how best to support students at home. And today we're going to carry on that discussion. We're still looking at learning, but I think we're taking a, a broader lens in that we're really going to be discussing the 21st century learning and really focusing on what skills students need to learn in order to be successful in this century. Well, I think you'd agree, Carol. It's amazing to think that we're basically 20 years into this new century. Remember, you know, it didn't seem very long ago when Y2K was the big thing. And we've certainly, you know, come a long way from that. Well, I think back to, you know, when we were, the concern was, you know, would we have a water supply? Would we, uh, and making sure you had your water bottles and filling the bathtub and stocking up on canned goods. And all the airports would be in total chaos. Mm -hmm. But here we are doing very well in 2019. And it's certainly pretty apparent what present and future employers are now valuing. And we'll do our very best to discuss what both home and school can do together to make sure our students are really well prepared to succeed in our modern world. In terms of valuable 21st century skills, I just love this quote from Alina Silva with the education sector, which says that an emphasis of what students can do with knowledge rather than what units of knowledge they have is the essence of 21st century skills. I think that is really valuable because we look at, you know, the instantaneous access that that everybody has to information. It's what we're doing with that information that's really Absolutely. Is the no long, piece. no longer simply knowledge accumulation. And really looking at that 21st century learning, quite a number of skills that continue to be needed to be successful in this century. And they basically fall into four main categories critical thinking, collaboration, communication, and and creativity, and commonly being referred to now as the the four C's. And I recently read an article, it was called Future Jobs Report, and it was uh, released the, the end of 2018, and really commented that these four C's will either retain or increase their value as the century proceeds. And so I think that's fairly profound in the sense that this is where we well they're need certainly to be not focusing. going to decrease in importance that's, no. that's for sure well the first C as you mentioned is critical thinking and critical thinking would you not agree Carol to me it's all about making reasoned judgments you know that are logical and well thought out and I think it's really important that kids are really given the opportunity to objectively analyze facts to form this judgment and then ultimately 
it's all about how they support their judgment rather than just about the judgment per se. So I think that's a really important step too. Oh, definitely. That that being able to explain why they are thinking or feeling as And be able to back it up. So when we really, when we look at those critical thinkers, we're looking at people who are self-confident, they're inquisitive, they're curious, and they really, they don't just accept things at face value. And, you know, we've mentioned in previous podcasts that developing these thinking skills are really critical to Especially our modern nowadays. world. And, and none of us can or should take information at face value. Well, maybe more so than any time in history, really. There's an inherent bias in an awful lot of stuff we see, hear, and read. And it's really important, once again, as we say, to have our kids look at things critically. Mm-hmm. It's also important in terms of critical thinking that there is rarely a single correct answer to any problem. And people need to be willing to challenge the status quo and don't accept things just because that's the way it's always been done or the view people have always had. And I guess, Carolyn, in a nutshell, I just look at it. Bottom line, our students moving forward need to be really good at two key things. Number one, to routinely read between the lines and to think outside the box. And that really reminds me of this article that I read, and it was about this man who was posting things on Facebook, and it was with a satirical component. He, he wanted to shock people, and uh, they also then interviewed someone who was following him, and she was taking everything at face value and thinking that this was real and the things that he was saying were obviously incorrect you know he would mislabel famous people in pictures and you know it was just such a profound impact that certainly unsettling to hear but not at all shocking because as we well know when intonation and sarcasm and things like that they're very difficult to really convey or infer from something you Mm -hmm. said or read online so when we think still to those critical thinkers, they need to be able to, to reconsider and to revise their views after receiving and, receiving and reflecting upon any new information. And that obviously wasn't the case, you know, with this, this woman in the article. Everything supported her bias, and she didn't look beyond that. Took it piece. at face value. So in other words, you know, that open-mindedness is such a big part of critical thinking. And closely related to that, of course, is the idea that learning for all of us is hopefully lifelong, and learning is very fluid. And the more we know, that hopefully will change our view on things. So when we look at critical thinking uh, from the school perspective, you know, teachers really need to ensure that students are routinely being given those rich tasks rather than just those worksheets of the past and, and the textbook questions out of the book. And rich tasks, of course, is a phrase that's been used for the last 10 years or so. And I just want to kind of clarify exactly what it means because I've worked with some excellent educators over the years who've spent an awful lot of time and effort searching for those perfect rich tasks. And the reality is they don't exist because the richness comes from application, not in isolation. It's how we use these tasks. The bottom line is rich tasks offer the appropriate level of challenge for all learners and allow and encourage different methods and ultimately Mm -hmm. different answers. Which reminds of the great quote from Jennifer Pagot, and uh, what she says was, rich tasks offer different opportunities to meet the different needs of learners at different levels. And I think that's the, the critical piece. And we've talked about differentiated learning, but when we have a task that's, that's very valuable and very, very rich, it offers various entry points for all learners. So you know, students that are struggling can work 
at their level with that the same problem, but maybe manipulating different values or... It opens different doors to include all students rather than inadvertently putting up walls in front of some students, which unfortunately has happened many times over the years. As an extension of rich tasks, teachers need to routinely encourage students to come to their own conclusions. And then, as we said before, to vigorously defend and support these views. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, the big piece is, is that defense of... But I think it's really important, too. It's not just in a, a passionate defense. Mm-hmm. It's also backed up with oh, facts. definitely. And so if we look, really meaningful education is not about the student trying to read the teacher's mind or wonder what the teacher wants them to say about a certain topic, which makes me think of you talking about your brother and how he was always so good on assessments because he could figure out what was the teacher going to ask and would then... Plan accordingly. Plan accordingly and uh, did was very successful with that. Excellent so. student. And critical thinking is certainly all about really a deeply embedded kind of way of looking at things. And one key part of that is inquiry learning that we discussed a bit in our last podcast. And this type of learning, bottom line, it's all about process, not simply the final product. Key difference from how it's been for many generations. Mm-hmm. And, and when teachers are planning a classroom lesson or assignment, you know, they really have to constantly ask themselves, is this task, does it encourage and require that student exploration and problem solving? Well, as you know, Carol, I'm a big fan of metaphors. And the one that pops to mind when we talk about exploration is on some beautiful summer's evening up in cottage country, someone standing on a deck looking out in the water. To me, that epitomizes exposure, a surface level view of things. But we're talking exploration. We're talking jumping in and taking a deep dive. And really going in with the material and really... Really working with it, really getting at it. Totally committed. So then let's look at how can our parents be supporting critical thinking at home with their children and and logic and reasoning are those key aspects of critical thinking and what research is telling us is that these skills begin to be established as early as five years of age so it's really critical in those formative years for parents to be having those opportunities and kids to be having those opportunities to think things well you think starting in kindergarten like that that's Mm -hmm. how early it really hits And I read a great article by Bright Horizons Family Solutions, and they had some key points to really consider. And the first was to allow children opportunities to play and experience cause and effect firsthand. They do this, and then this will happen. Like, that's really powerful. Well, and, and, you know, we've read and we've had discussions around that play and, and how important it is for children's development, not only for those skills, but also for all of those four C's skills because Very much so. the, the child is control of their, of their learning through play and, and those are the essential skills that are going to carry the kids forward. And, and one other thing I think that's important for parents to remember is not to intervene the moment that a problem arises for their, their child, to give kids the opportunity to try and solve those what would typically be small problems at those younger years because I think if we don't allow them to develop those skills in the younger years for how to solve a problem, then they don't know how to go about it when the problem becomes much more complex well, in the ex- older years. Well, excuse me for another metaphor, but the one that comes to mind there is many times a well-intended parent 
throws the life preserver to help the child deal with a small problem. And it's with the best of intentions, you know, they mean very well. However, it's really important that all kids get wet occasionally. Mm -hmm. As you say, not soaked, not on serious matters, never risking safety, but they need to get a bit damp a few times to really get empowered and grow. Well, to carry your metaphor forward, they'll never learn to swim if we're always throwing them a life preserver. Well said. It's also important to really focus on open-ended questions with our kids, both at school and home. And those are really preceded with a how or a why, rather than the typical who, what, when, where. Those questions, we would say, are typically driven by recall. And the thing is, as we've said in numerous podcasts, in today's day and age, when kids can access information in anywhere from four to five Mm -hmm. seconds on virtually any topic, recall has to really be diminished in importance and really focus on the hows and Mm -hmm. whys. And the whys and the explain. We also need to make sure, parents need to make sure that they're encouraging their children to develop hypotheses about what will happen in the future, whether it be something that's happening on the news or even making those predictions in books that that they're reading. Well, and as you well know, we've experienced both as educators many times and as parents probably even more times, the best learning undoubtedly and the most memorable learning occurs in the hypothesis was proven to be incorrect. Why was it incorrect? How can we adjust things in the future? That is the essence of real learning. Mm -hmm. Now looking at collaboration, our next C, collaboration is all about working with someone to create or produce something. But I think it's an important distinction right off the bat, Carol, would you not agree, that it's not simply playing nice and getting along. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's an important thing to really clear up. It's all about working together with another person or group of people to really work towards a common goal. But, uh, you know, I, I think we also have to to mention that when we're working towards that goal, it's in a respectful, oh, absolutely. In a respectful manner. So really, when we're looking at collaboration, then it, it involves three key components. You know, you have to have the team of at least two people. There has to be a process that these people are working through. And then there also has to be that purpose as the team is working to complete some shared goal together. But I find it really interesting in those three key terms, at no point did we hear the word product. Mm -hmm. So it's really a real shift in how learning is really looked upon moving forward. Speaking of moving forward, read a great article in Forbes magazine recently Mm -hmm. that looked at, you know, the most important skills Fortune 500 companies are valuing in employees today versus back in 1970, which of course is basically 50 years ago. And in 1970, these three most valued skills were writing, computational skills, and reading. And, you know, looking at it, that's that's perfect. That's how we were taught. And those were the skills that we needed for to be successful as adults. They did an excellent job aligning at that time with future needs. However, things have changed considerably, obviously. And now in 2019, The three most important skills are teamwork, problem solving, and interpersonal Mm -hmm. skills. And without a doubt, all three of these skills obviously link very closely with collaboration. And then if we look at our our modern world and the role of technology, well, it really allows for many opportunities for collaboration among people who are all over the world. And, you know, they may never meet face-to-face or, you know, it might be several months before they come together as a team. But, you know, there is just so many 
ways that people can connect worldwide or globally through the use of technology. And I mean, we've experienced it ourselves. We're Very in contact so. with one person using one platform and then in contact with someone else through a totally different means. And Well, I find it interesting that age-old, lifelong interpersonal skills, which have been very applicable for decades, are now being facilitated with various ranges of different technological options and platforms. So the same basic skills, but to a, such a broader audience mm-hmm. is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. In terms of collaboration at school, the layout of elementary school classrooms has certainly changed dramatically mm-hmm. over the years, even throughout our teaching careers. As the standard setup of long rows gave way to group seating, what would you say, in the mid-90s? Mm-hmm. Like to me, that's when cooperative learning really started yeah. rising yeah. in prominence. And from that point on, typical classroom, what, four to six kids in a group? Would that kind of be your... Certainly. I think it would look at the dynamic of class. But now, if we really look at that flexible seating that's being available now, really provides opportunities for, throughout the day, different groups to come together or places where kids can work quietly if if they're needing that quiet spot. And uh, Well, the days of having my own seat in my classroom... Mm-hmm. For the whole year, those days are gone. So students really now are frequently working together. They're collaborating as they generate hypotheses and and uh, in, you know make informed predictions and see what happens as a result of their predictions and what they're doing. And and if it actually uh, you know as we said earlier, if it actually does come to fruition, or if they need to look at what went wrong and, and why. why did that go wrong, and then how are we going to move on to re-evaluate and reset up whatever it is that we were going to do. Well, as we mentioned, the power of the unexpected. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Really resonates. Lots of learning happening there for sure. And in terms of collaboration among students, it's really all about two things. Deepening their collective and individual understanding and broadening their perspectives. A group, group member, excuse me, learn from each other. And they also learn to challenge each other within the group. Mm-hmm. And as we were, we've discussed many times, I know basically within our family and also professionally, it is so key to learn to disagree, sometimes very passionately, but realize it's not personal. Mm-hmm. Just because I disagree with you does not automatically mean I don't like you. Yes, and, and that is a, a difficult Huge piece to, to, for young children to understand, but it's an imperative piece. So if we're looking at home, what can families be doing to provide those opportunities for kids to to collaborate and be involved. And if we look at the variety of household projects that, you know, are always needing to be undertaken, you know, it's it's important to include the kids in this as their age uh, certainly would dictate and really allow them to, to see the process and to work with you through that process. To have and, a say. And, but also it's a life skill that you're now teaching them for that home management as well. And also looking to to empower them to make some decisions and uh, to to be able to in you know say that you know they feel that they should be allowed to do such and such and why they should be allowed to and can they stay up later this Friday night and why and those types of things so we want to stress we're not suggesting and I know you'd agree Carol yes. we're not suggesting for a second that you're kind of deferring all decisions to your child and they're getting their total say that's not what we're saying mm-hmm. at all 
But I think it's very important that they do have input into things like, you know, bedtimes and as they get older, curfew times. We talk about meals and, of course, they can be involved in meal preparation, yeah. absolutely. And in terms of, you know, what the family may be doing this weekend or things like that. So it's not a question of taking no, over the decision making. No, and that's what I wanted to really involved. make sure that, uh, you know, people weren't going away with, oh, we just <laughs> allow every, you know, the kids in the family to make all the decisions. Far from it. So, and then another thing that families can be doing uh, to teach that collaboration is to really be working on sharing and, and waiting their turn. And, you know, a lot of this can happen through games, could happen through just communication. And, and we're going to touch a bit more about that when we do the third, to, third C. Carol, that so. is a brilliant segue. <laughs> we are on to, surprise, surprise, communication. And, of course, the essence of any communication is exchanging information. And the core of effective communication is all about two things, understanding and being understood. And I know as we've talked many, many times ourselves, far too often people are fixated on being understood, but spend very little time on understanding others. And I think that's a, a, a very key component that everybody constantly needs to be working on is that active listening. And when we look at communication, in today's world, you know, we can look at it from two perspectives. There's the mediated communication, which requires technology. So it's things like FaceTime in comparison to having those face-to-face -face conversations. And we can also look at digital communication, which is that communication that happens either through texts or emails or social media, where information is being transferred electronically or conversations are happening electronically. Well, and I know you would certainly concur, Carol, that the endlessly growing list of online communication options, they offer countless benefits, both in our personal lives, school lives, work lives, etc. But the reality is, they do also come with some profound risks. Well, and I think, you know, we, ha we have to look at when we instantaneously respond to something, often that's with a lot of emotion and a lot of passion. And often those messages that we're putting down in, in text maybe aren't as clearly communicated as we would like and uh, often uh, lend themselves to misinterpretations. And as we've said many times at our own kitchen table to our own sons, two big factors related to your thoughts are you send something electronically, the size of the and the particulars of the ultimate audience are completely out of your control. Mm -hmm. And also, as you all know, the timeline. Just because you've forgotten what you texted oh. or whatever, there's no guarantee whatsoever it hasn't been passed on mm -hmm. and on and on to whomever. And, and I think even if you delete that tweet or that uh, post, still a lot of people have seen it. Very naive to think and, that's the end of and, it. And, uh, you know, we really do have to watch with those typed forms of communication that we are actually sharing the right message because there minus that inflection and, and the intonation and, and that sort of thing that helps clarify the meaning behind something. Bottom line is, will always be very important for parents and educators alike to establish and maintain ongoing conversation with our kids about the appropriate use of technology. In terms of school itself and communication, the tremendous advancements over the past 20 years or so have had a significant impact on how kids interact as they can now interact with students and businesses all over the world. And of course, virtual learning allows students to communicate for different purposes 
to different audiences, which is really neat. It really is, because I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was uh, for students in Ontario, and how they had a Twitter chat for, it was high school students, where they would have a monthly topic that they would then interact on and and, uh and communicate and get everyone's different points of view. And I think how powerful that was. Well, talk about relevant. Is. Talk about relevant learning. And and also, it's led by students. Ownership. So, uh, yep, the ownership. So, you know, those opportunities for learning are now growing far beyond the classroom and school and, and really far beyond the individual city as well because the students are able to communicate and, and share on a much more global perspective now and look at things with a really critical eye. And those opportunities, of course, need to extend into the classroom on a daily basis. So when it comes to planning lessons and units nowadays, teachers always have to ask themselves, how is this learning task connected to the world beyond the classroom and the school? Related to that, they always need to consider the learner's lens. How is the student seeing this? And as you know, Carol, one of my kind of favorite expressions is looking at the difference between the teacher intent and the learner impact. And what really matters is not how fantastic and great the lesson was in its origin, but what lasting legacy does it have with the given learner? Mm-hmm. And that alignment is, is so crucial. So now looking at home and looking at what parents can be doing at home, you know, when we look at those communication skills that that they're being uh, beginning to develop right from birth and and uh you know we're hoping that in a future podcast we'll be able to go into that in a much more detail with a speech and language pathologist but for now really families taking those opportunities to model that reciprocity of communication is one way that that you know they can be working with their kids to develop those skills And along with that reciprocity piece, the whole idea, once again, of turn-taking and listening actively to others and then responding appropriately. You know, you're not just kind of giving that glazed smile. You're really listening and having, a, once again, a timely insight. And also looking at that maintaining the conversation. You know, it's not good enough just to respond on topic and then completely throw something of your own personal No, excellent point. It, you know, conversation is just not a one back and forth. It's, it's multiple times. And then also really looking at developing those questioning skills with kids. And one of my favorite games when the boys were younger was Guess Who, which is, you know, looking at your different uh, characters and trying to guess who the other person's character is. So it not only really focuses on those questioning skills, but it also looks at that categorizing of your different characters and what is the best question to be asking. So you know, a very simple, inexpensive game that has a lot of rich potential to it. I also like the fact it really brought out the unique qualities of different individuals. So then another thing also parents could be doing is really looking at modeling and monitoring those appropriate use of technology to communicate with others. And Well, some options there, of course, are talking with relatives using FaceTime and other forms of social media. And now onto our fourth and final C, creativity. Creativity is the ability to discover solutions to problems, and certainly a key part of being creative is all about taking risks and, you know, ignoring the doubters. And creativity is the ability to see beyond the ordinary and to really use your imagination and to really open up all those possibilities. 
not just the certainties and the probabilities, but let's mm -hmm. start with the possibilities. And I loved reading this quote that allowing someone's creativity to be explored and really fully developed was similar to, quote, opening up their cabinet of curiosities. And that is a nice way but of But don't you think, Carol, it's, I think it. it's lovely how it's said, and I take no credit for it, but I think it's really also very concerning and sad that so many people of all different ages throughout their lives have rarely, if ever, opened up this cabinet of their own curiosities. Or the cabinet door has been closed in their face because maybe what they're presenting is different to what other people, how other people would have done it too. That's an excellent perspective. And that's maybe even sadder if someone yes. else has closed someone else's cabinet. Yes. So when we look at the school and what teachers can be doing in order to support that create, uh, creativity, you know, they really need to ensure that they're, they're reinforcing the opportunities for the thinking of the process of how we're doing things, not simply on the outcome or the product of it. And really students need to be routinely provided with and rewarded for those opportunities to choose. And I think that is a big piece of, of today's education is, you know, these are the parameters of the task. But one but size does not fit all. Yeah, and there's m multiple w things that you could be doing in order to show your knowledge and understanding. Well, as you know, Carol, we've talked quite a bit about play in the last four or five months, including one podcast in particular. But I think it's important, once again, to really kind of differentiate prescriptive play from creative play. Mm -hmm. They both have their benefits, but oh, I think we need to differentiate them. Our family, from day one with our kids, have played a ton of board games, great social activity, lots of laughs, lots of learning, but that's very prescriptive. Rules, et cetera, well, that are laid on you. Everything's laid on. Well, as you know, many of the rules I forgot, but technically <laughs> there's a lot of rules, rules in the game. Whereas when we look at, at uh, creative play, it's those opportunities for kids to kind of explore and make their own rule. There's nothing I love more than getting out the Lego and, you know, seeing what could be created or, or you know, that, you know, we've talked before about that appliance box and how kids can take that and turn it into something else. And those are such rich opportunities for kids to use that creativity to explore, to remake, and, and to move on. And, and, you know, that is really the whole essence, what, you know, of why play is, is so essential. Well, loading up the old box with a hodgepodge of mishmashed toys, et cetera, et cetera, is just the ultimate win-win. The stuff inside allows for so much creativity. And then, as you say, maybe even better is the box can be used too. Yep. Bottom line, and I know, Carol, you'd fully agree, both as parent and educator, one of the greatest, if not the greatest gifts any parent can give any child is regular opportunities to release his or her imagination. Mm -hmm. Let them build, draw, dance, and let them do it their okay. way. Yep. After all, all kids need to learn to innovate, not simply imitate. So when we look at critical thinking, collaboration, communication, and creativity, those, those four C's, they will combine to really have that profound impact on how students are learning throughout the rest of the 21st century. And also, whether at home or at school, effective teaching will involve students using these skills to acquire their own knowledge rather than have teachers and parents simply impart knowledge to kids. Mm -hmm. And that's that piece moving forward. It's no longer just to sit and get. Teachers and parents need to remember that. So 
you know, we really appreciate everyone for joining us today and really look forward to any feedback that, uh, you know, our listening audience may have. There could be topics that they they wish that uh, we would address, or maybe there's some questions about something that we've said today. So feel free to reach out to us either through the website at jamiebricker.com or email us at info at jamiebricker.com. And during our next podcast, we will have a special guest join us as we will dig deeper into technology in terms of how it is being used in the classroom and how parents can reinforce its use at home. So welcome all to 2019. Thanks again for joining us on Bricker by Bricker. Bricker.